H&M South Africa has made strides collaborating with designers like Balisamu Kubung of Mansu, Rich Mnisi and many others. They've also challenged well-known retailers to become market leaders. In this episode, Caroline Nelson, H&M South Africa's country manager and CEO, joins me to delve into some of their success stories, collaborations with local designers, as well as what they learned from some of South Africa's leading creative minds. As part of H&M South Africa's journey, they also collaborate with influencers, and I ask her how they find the balance between their global outlook and local urban culture. And I think our South African influencers and celebrities do it best. I think, like, by a long shot, they're the best in the world. Um, and they really, like, take our fashion and, and, and take it to the next level. And, and that's a really cool way to do it, where you can, um, yeah, you still have what's in Paris, what people are looking for, but how it's worn here and how it can present it is, is completely different. And it's just so cool and vibrant and, and interesting. And that's kind of a, a, an easy way uh, to balance a mixture of global and local. Following the launch of H&M's offering on Superbalist, Caroline Nelson talks about some of the strategic outcomes and lessons. The public response has been really good to us being on there and, and it's helping to promote a really good store environment and vice versa because we can drive people between both channels and hopefully find something for everyone. To learn more about how AI is shaping the future of fashion, how H&M South Africa collaborates with creative teams and to get insights on staying ahead in your industry, stay tuned. Welcome to the Lead Creative Podcast, where we talk to creative industry leaders, influencers, and brands. We discuss the strategies that influence brand thinking and shape industries. Thought leaders and heads of agencies let us in on some of their thinking and insights. I'm your host, Mongi Simtati. Enjoy the show, and please share and subscribe. Caroline, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us on The Lead Creative. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to get into this conversation. Me too. I'm very excited to be here. So Caroline, um, to start off, uh, just looking, you know, just thinking about your career, which spans oh, nearly two decades in the fashion and lifestyle sectors, one would think that this was always your destiny. But I'm just curious, did your career take interesting twists and turns to get to this point was this always where you saw yourself yeah you just made me feel very old when you said that uh, so thank you for that you've just been you've um, just been yeah you've no, just been I, a trailblazer yeah yeah exactly i started at 10 um no i i mean to be perfectly honest i had no i you know growing up it was never my ambition to end up in um in the fashion space or or the retail space um, I, I, when I was little, I thought I was going to be a lawyer or maybe a teacher, um, or, you know, something, something that like influenced people for good, if that makes sense. That's, that's kind of the space I always thought I would end up in. Um, but growing up in Ireland, you know, your, your scope isn't as big, I would say, in terms of what you think you can do as it is here. I feel like everyone in South Africa, you know, dreams to, dreams very big and we dream for like you know safe jobs that'll kind of get you through life but I never really had that thought process 
as as soon as I start working in in the workplace, if that makes sense, it changed very quickly when yeah, I realized. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, the reason I ended up in 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 fashion retail is actually so. I mean, we didn't have a lot growing up, um, and I always loved like girls' clothes. Um, but because my you know my parents were like just grafting to raise four kids on you know at the beginning quite a small salary. Uh, a lot of my clothes came from either like my cousins who were boys. Uh, so they didn't look great. Like I remember wearing those wool jumpers that had sheep, you know, like sheep and pigs and cows because they were farmers, you For know, sure. like wearing those For sure. or For brown sure. tracksuits or whatever was on like mm-hmm. sale, you know, like, like we never yeah. got clothes because they were like pretty and, you know, it was like whatever was on sale. And then you got one nice outfit at Christmas, for example. Um, no, that makes, yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that's, and that's such a familiar story. You know, it getting, is. You know, these hand-me-downs as you grow up. Yeah, Exactly. So as soon as I got my first paycheck, I spent it all on like cool clothes, you know. I got like a little uh, halter neck. I'll never forget it. I bought it in purple and white. It was like a little halter neck. And it was made of this linen-y fabric and then these high-waisted white pants. And that was the summer of my, so I was 15. So the summer of my 16th birthday, like that was my first paycheck. And I spent all of my money basically on clothing. So then I realized, oh, I need to work in retail so I can get a discount because that was like, <laughs> like this wasn't going to last. Yeah. Every 15 year old's dream. That. Yes, exactly. So then for the next like three summers, I, every time I got like a part-time job, to earn money, I, I tried to work in retail and I found that I had this, like, I just loved being on the floor. I love the rush. I love helping customers. I loved like just being around people in general. And then, and then I kind of, you know, figured out that I was good at leading people too. Um, so that's, that was kind of the, the beginning of it. Obviously there's 20 years span of what mm-hmm. happened along yeah. that journey but but that's how it started it was more I liked clothes I didn't have access to them as a kid I got a job so I could try and get something that I never had and then and then it kind of went from there and I really never like even when I was doing that I never saw myself in fashion retail or in any sort of senior leadership position I was kind of more trying to figure out my real job um, but here I am 20 years later. Thank you for the reminder. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when you took on this adventure to lead H&M in South Africa, what stood out to you about South African urban culture that translates to how H&M becomes part of that culture? Yeah, um, th- this is quite interesting, actually, because, you know, I... Um, most of my HM career was actually in the States. So even though I'm from Ireland, most of my career was in the States and I got to do little stints in other markets like South America, a little bit in Europe, a little bit opening different foreign markets. And when I, when I came here, like I realized quite quickly, we were still quite new here compared to what I was used to, um, in, in the States. But what I realized here was like this people have the same, like drive and ambition, regardless of their background, 
to look good. Like everybody wants to look good. I would, I would dare to say people here want to look much better than they do in the US as a whole. I think there's a lot of pride here in like putting your best foot forward, uh, looking stylish and fashionable. I mean, every time I go to Joburg, I'm, I'm, you know, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not dressed up enough. You know, you have to always have heels in your handbag, but there's this like pride across all communities to look good. And I think, that really translates then into into the sort of brand that we are because it does make fashion accessible to everybody and and that made it a very exciting journey for me on like how do we then in a country that maybe doesn't have as much as other countries um become become closer to the customer by doing things that can not just help people to look really good but also help them to feel like they're part of the brand journey absolutely yeah yeah can you give us an overview of H&M South Africa's mission and how your recent initiatives? I'm particularly interested in those involving local designers and job creation and how those fit into that mission of H&M South Africa. Yeah. So, um, I mean, our mission here is 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 not any different than anywhere else in the world, which is fashion and quality at the best price in a sustainable way. That's that's who we are as an organization. Um but here the model is tweaked slightly, right? Um, you know, the, the, the culture is different. People dress differently and you have so much creativity and you feel the creativity here. So it's, it's quite important to include that creativity into the journey of the company. Um, otherwise you're just another organization or another, another big brand. And, and here, you know, our ambition is, Obviously, we're a business. We want to make money. We want to have a, a good P&L and, and be successful from that point of view. And in order to do that, we need to keep growing. Um, and that growth comes from, you know, return customers, new customers, uh, our existing customers sp- spending more with us, new stores, online sales, which we launched last year. Um, so that, so that's, that's quite important, obviously, as the foundation so that we can do other things. Um, and then the other two, you know, areas that are quite important to us are our sustainability efforts, both from a, a people and environmental point of view. And then to your point, then the local designer collaborations that we've been doing and that involvement there. And, and that's important because of the level of creativity here, but also the, the, how much impact you can have on, on promoting local design here as a big brand. Um, and what it can do for people when they have an opportunity to work alongside of a brand like ours. So, you know, in 2019, we had our first local design collaboration with um, Palesa, with Mansu, and that was extremely successful and it was very well received. And, and on the back of that, we, we kind of looked and said, okay, there, there's a journey here to be taken as we, you know, grow the company and the brand to, to, to help continue to promote local design here because you can change a designer's life here just by giving them a platform uh, that's bigger than what you usually get to do. And and so that's just part of kind of the direction we've been heading in. And, and so far it's proved to be really great. And now we've partnered with a lot more designers over the last few years um, and they've all been incredible launches. Um, and then we've also started to do little things like, you know, in our home store in Santon, we have local furniture that we're selling from there or, you know, uh, like 
olive oils and teas and, and coffees and things just so that wherever we can inject a little bit of local design and kind of give a entrepreneur a, a step up in some capacity or other that becomes part of the journey so it's been quite cool to integrate these things together yeah and, and it's been inspiring to see to see those come to life and i just want to take a bit of a step back um to those collaborations because you mentioned uh Balisa Mukubung of Mansu which was a great collaboration and it was one of the ones that really um at least to me started this journey of really noticing what H&M is doing locally that's different um to other markets and i found that to be a really fascinating thing and then there was one with Richmnisi as well that was a really uh, that it was a really good collaboration can you share what goes what happens in the background to make these collaborations come to life if anyone is listening out there or if because we're all interested in seeing you know how we can collaborate with big brands how we can collaborate with brands but i know that there's a designer out there who who wonders how these come to be yeah so uh, it's a it's definitely a long process um it's it it doesn't happen overnight and uh and for sure it's it's uh it's not an easy process for us either because there's so many talented designers in the space here but generally what we do is we we take a look and we we look at like who's starting to have an impact so who's making a name for themselves who has started to kind of um like you know rise up a little bit and and start to get noticed because that's quite important for us that we give people who already have some sort of platform already the next step right so we can kind of take them to the next level because that's the beauty of having a big international brand um but alongside of that it's it's about you know designers who are obviously very talented who fall in line with our um our style the sort of design that we have within the organization but also in line with our our brand and where we're going so um you know very high fashion is obviously quite important um but something that can be accessible to to the masses too um and then once we've kind of narrowed down um a, a short list of designers uh then it's quite important for us to also get to know them so do they as a person um are they a good fit for us as an organization in terms of like who they are their values our values uh, how can we work together because like i mentioned the process isn't easy and you want to have fun on this journey you want you know you know want people who have a similar value set as you who really want to like make this work and and once you've kind of found the perfect pair then the journey is so much easier and it can be so much fun and you know we've seen that with the campaigns where you have these fantastic relationship with the designers afterwards because of the relationship you've built during that process because it can be incredibly fun and and rewarding for all parties so there's no magic formula for for anybody who who wants to come on board but of course you know as much as we'd love to get behind somebody who's just starting that's a big leap for for us to take and um and i always explain that you know a lot of conferences and things that you speak at or events and you meet people and they really want to do it but you you have to have kind of learned about business first a little bit yourself um before you you partner in in you know a, in a business transaction like that that you know could put you out to the whole world very quickly um so there needs to be some experience behind you as well um and there are other ways with designers that we work 
you know, throughout throughout the year um, for people who haven't quite reached that scale. But that's kind of the general process. And then once we have the, you know, the designer picked, then the, the back of house journey starts, right? The design, what's the collection going to look like? You know, can it be made here? Do we, you know, as much as we can, we'll, we'll try and use local resources to make things happen. Um, and if it can't happen here, what part or what elements of it can happen here um, to have the best output? And then you have, you know, yeah, the whole creative process, of course. And then you have the campaign shooting and the marketing side of it. And that's all the fun. But that's a lot of hard work, right? And it, it takes time and a lot of people um, to, to make that happen. And then ultimately, of course, the end product is that you have a collection in our stores and and we support it then with um some fantastic media behind it and, and marketing campaigns which is the thing that can kind of take a designer to the next level or if they're already extremely um well known within south africa it, it can you know give them an even bigger platform to speak to the world that makes yeah that makes sense so so in a nutshell what i'm getting is keep working on your brand keep building a brand learn the ropes and as you learn the ropes the uh, i guess the paths will begin to merge yeah exactly and you know the, the i think for me what's so interesting i mean it's no different in any other country but particularly here i think the the local design industry is very tight you know and it very much supports people support each other. So that's the, that's the really nice thing. Like you, you know, for every designer event we've had, the previous designer has attended or because they all know each other and want to support each other and want each other to, to be successful. So I think like for me outside in the biggest strength I see in South Africa is the network around being a designer, because that's the thing that gives you platform. People want each other to succeed. They, you know, it's this beautiful camaraderie here. And, and I think that network is the thing that can also propel you to grow your brand so much more um, because because really everyone wants each other to be the best. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a that's a really great insight. That the sense of community really also contributes quite a lot in in finding these collaborations. Um, following a lot of these collaborations and initiatives that you've set in place, how has the local market responded? You mentioned that they responded positively um, a bit earlier, but how has the response? been and what are some of the success stories that you think back to um, now that you know these collaborations have occurred and this growth has happened yeah look look there's a lot I mean it's I think it's been quite successful on both sides obviously with us for selling and then for for the designers themselves in terms of um, you know their their brand presence and I think for me one of the the ones that I I really love is when we had the Namel collection uh, that was 2021 um, and we, that was a home collection and you know th th those guys they're so nice they're like every time you meet them it just feels like you get it like a big warm yeah, hug yeah. you know um, and I remember meeting um, Way like maybe six months after the original launch in store. And, and I met her at some other event and, and she said to me, she's like, you made us famous. <laughs> you know, she, she was so excited. She was like, you made us famous. And, and then she talked about like the journey that had occurred, you know, from that like launch yeah. in store in Santon to, yeah. to where they were now as a brand. And it was, 
you know, sometimes when you're you're in roles like this, you you don't always get the the end user like satisfaction. Sure. You know, you kind of hope that it's landed really well, and but that for me was something that felt so tangible and so exciting, and then that gives you the like the passion to to keep wanting to do these sort of things locally because you realize the impact it can have on people's lives. If you're enjoying The Lead Creative, please share this episode with your network and hit follow or subscribe. Enjoy the show. As a global brand, H&M is loved by many people for its distinctive style and quality, which are the things that you started with alongside the sustainability element. How do you manage to localize your offerings while retaining this global outlook or this global sense of what people love about the brand yeah it's a it's not easy it's a, <laughs> it's a fine balance and of course you, you know because people want what they see in paris sure. they want what they see in new york and that's why they mm. come to us and and so then you have to that's the business model you know you that is our main customer offer and that's what we need to give to the customer because that's what they're looking for but then there are areas then you can you can tweak the model to make sure that we're you know contributing locally supporting local especially from the design point of view and and like you know making parts of our business as as local as possible and you know there there's lots of different ways we do that i mean obviously we've spoken about the designer collaborations we mentioned a little bit about the in-store collaborations that we have in um in our home store in johannesburg um we you know we also uh try like with with both um rich manisi's collection and yay abe you know we printed everything locally um our curvy denim our entire curvy denim line was made for south africa it was designed for this market because that was something we didn't provide on a global scale um that was really needed in this market so you, you tweak that segment to make sure people can find exactly what they're looking for there and then the other way of course is through like social media so using local influencers and celebrities and really integrating them into our brand journey as well because that's where you can like show how to wear global yes, locally yes. and and I think our South African influencers and celebrities do it best I think like by a long shot they're the best in the world um and they really like take our fashion and 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 take it to the next level and and that's a really cool way to do it where you can um yeah you still have what's in Paris what people are looking for but how it's worn mm -hmm. here and how it can present it is is completely different and it's just so cool and vibrant and and interesting and that's kind of a, a an easy way uh, to balance a mixture of global and local sure 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 the decision to take H&M's online offering uh to, especially in South Africa, to superbalist instead of launching it as H&M, I'm sure was a, a hugely strategic decision. Can you take us through what was behind that decision and also the lessons learned now that it's you are a year into this partnership? Yeah, we're, we're exactly a year. So um, uh, you, <laughs> you've been monitoring us closely. Um, yeah, you, <laughs> we're going to have an anniversary soon, so everyone can keep their eyes and ears peeled for that. 
No, I, it was, um, it is, it was a strategic decision. Um, it's not easy to set up a local, uh, website and, and offer the customer exactly what you want to offer them when you want to offer to them in that journey and while keeping your, your same prices, right? And logistics aren't easy generally, you know, being able to deliver in two days isn't easy generally. So all of these factors, um, you know, when you take them into consideration in the business case, it just made more sense for us to partner with somebody local. And, and, um, and that's not to say, you know, that it will always be that way, but the, but this was for sure the best way for us to, to start and continue this journey. It's been incredibly successful. It's been great for both brands. Um, the customer was from day one able to get things two days later, which is like, you know, a, a small miracle when it comes to launching online websites at such scale in general, which is quite cool. And they have a fantastic customer service offer. Um, and it was fun. You know, they were a good partner. And when you look at, at Superbolus, it offers the best of fashion in South Africa. So we had a place there right off the bat and people have been really excited about it. So I think it was a, a great decision and it helps to contribute massively to local mm, business and mm. employment. So the South African um, the South African customer experience report found that there are um, that there's a there's a really good way in which reviews contribute to what's being bought a lot online. Following this opening on Superwellist, have you started seeing this sort of relationship between what happens online at Superwellist and what happens in store, and and sort of how these two these two environments work with each other? Yes. I'm so glad I listened to your last podcast about data and insights. So, <laughs> so I feel like I can, I can speak, I speak well to, um, to the topic of discussion. Look, we, I think we found that the customer generally has been quite happy with the, with the experience. What's, and, and we have, we continue to have customers in the areas where we have stores shop online and in store too, which is really, that's actually quite cool. Um, and, uh, that's, that's nice to have that data, right? Because you, you, you're the, the perfect situation is that you have the customer coming to see you in store, you know, buying there, interacting with our teams, feeling, touching, getting to know their size. And then, you know, at home thinking, Oh, I want to go online and shop at H&M, right? That's, that's the ideal situation. And, and, um, most of our, our feedback has been really good, um, from that regards. People were very excited to join, um, that we joined Superbalist and were online. Um, you know, of course you get feedback that, you know, is everything available on store that's online and you don't always have that formula perfect. Um, but we're quite close to having almost everything at the same time right now. Um, but you know, there, there's always things out of our control here with our ports and our uh, logistics. There's always things happening that, you know, won't give you the perfect formula, but the public response has been really good to us being on there and and it's helping to promote a really good store environment and vice versa because we can drive people between both channels and hopefully find something for everyone yeah with 
um, I've noticed that H&M has introduced this AI-powered virtual try-on. And just looking at that, it's clear to me that technology and the space of AI is playing a very significant role now within the fashion, within the fashion space. How do you see AI shaping the future of fashion? And how does H&M plan to sort of stay ahead of that, of that curve as it, as it evolves? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the discussion in every every business in the world right now, not not just in fashion, but to your point, it's particularly advantageous in in the fashion industry if you can use AI to get ahead of the curve for for many reasons. And you know, the the try on fitting room is one thing where I think and and as a company where we we put a lot of that investment is actually in the supply chain part because AI can basically eliminate a lot of waste, right, which massively contributes towards our sustainability goals as an organization, um, because it is difficult to predict with current, with, you know, the data that stands for for now, exactly how much of something you should buy, right, and exactly how much should be manufactured. And now with 3D design, with um, with all of AI being able to give you the data about predicting what the consumer is going to want, it can eliminate massive amounts of waste, of cost, of, uh, you know, shipments that don't need to ship. So that part of it is a big investment for us as an organization as we really see that having a huge impact. And then, you know, then you go to kind of the the future of what that's going to look like and and the metaverse and and people really not needing to to interact that much at all, you know, in order to get the garment that they want. But, but that whole journey is, is huge. And, and every retailer needs to be in it in some capacity or other, or they will be left behind. And, and that's just the reality. So, um, it's, it's still quite unknown to us all. Um, but, but the supply chain is a huge focus. The customer experience is a huge focus in this area. And then, of course, like the ethics around using AI, that's quite important to us as an organization, too, that as we use this technology, that you're, you know, you're part of the commitments to do it in the right way as well. So um, because we don't really know what it's going to do to itself over time. But, yeah, for anyone, I think, in the industry right now, that's where you need to to be putting your investment for the future in. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's, and, and I think that's very interesting. And I think um, something that comes to mind for me uh, to ask you as somebody, you know, who is in a, a leadership position, because AI, while, you know, while we all sort of at least a year in, you know, up until the year in sort of November last year, open AI kind of came onto the scene and, AI became a big thing, a thing on everyone's lips. But I know that we had started the virtual try-on long before um, that was the kind of the case. But as a leader, how do you know that one trend is going to be something significant while another not so much? You've mentioned the metaverse um, <laughs> as one, for example, right? Yeah. There was threads not I... <laughs> too long ago. How do you know that this is a trend that we should be following and that one not so much? I can tell you that I don't know <laughs> as, as a leader. <laughs> However, AI can tell me. So I think, sure. you know, the, the, these are the, like, for, by no means am I an expert in AI. And, and I think this is the interesting thing. Like, 
you need people to you still need people to think about the things that we you know we should be looking at but then ai will be the thing to help us do it in the best way possible right so so i don't know i mean there's a million different ways to look at that in terms of trends and and the old ways of figuring out trends don't don't disappear people like catwalks are still there you know real designers are still there they inspire people and and you want like people to aspire to be a, a fashionista in in one regard or other and, and those people will always set the trends the difference is is that now you can have a fashion aspirer sitting in in cape town who can have as much influence as somebody in paris and ai can do that and and that's where the the difference is versus in in the past that you can the the data will show you where the trends are happening, how they're happening, when they're happening, who is who is creating them. And that's very different from just using the traditional channels before, which told us X designer designed this collection. We think it's going to be great next year. This is what you should design. The input is much greater now than than historically. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great point. I think that the that that part about the input being much greater is a really great point because that's what we are seeing time and time again. Um so, so as an outsider looking in, um, H&M does a lot of its creative work in-house. Can you tell me a bit about uh, how you collaborate with external agencies, external creative teams, and what that process kind of looks like, especially seeing as, like I'm saying, looking at it from, looking from the outside in, it looks like there's a lot of creative work happening in-house, but sometimes you have to, you have to almost outsource. How, how does that relationship work and how do you choose your partners in that case? Yeah, I think, I mean, look, I'll speak from a South African point of view. I won't, I won't speak for the whole, uh, the sure, whole world, sure. but it's very similar to what we, we talked about with the design earlier. Like for us, we want like local, when we pick local creative partners, we want partners who we want to work with, like who you'd hire as part of your team and, and, you know, get things done with because it, it creates so much better environment and you your end product for what you get in terms of creativity is is so much better when the people that you're with understand you and and the journey that you're on um quite well and then of course you want people who are like forward thinking um cool very creative obviously and and south africa is full of like full of um, people like that. For us, it's, it's about like narrowing down, just like you would any, any sort of business transaction, like who are the best people and how do we get the best, um, uh, well, deal for lack of a better word to make sure that, you know, everybody's happy at the outcome. And, and we're really celebrating the creativity of both H&M and of the creative company that we're working alongside. Um, so it's not really a rocket science process but you 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 know you meet business partners along the way who just fit your company really well and the goal of whatever it is you're trying to launch and you develop that relationship which makes it easier and easier over time of course of course so um so caroline we have a, a tradition here on the show uh where we ask our guests um this uh this particular question and you're welcome to you know to pick anyone from anywhere in the world um to answer this question any living person in your industry and beyond um and the question is if you could ask any living person about their unique approach to marketing, creativity, or life, 
who would that person be and what is the one question that you would ask them? I definitely would pick a life, like a life person. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think. Um, and even though I knew this question was coming, I'm, I'm having one of those moments <laughs> where I'm like, oh, who should I, who should I pick right now? Um, I think people to me who are just like super, super inspiring, you, you know, I mean, this is going to sound maybe a little cliche now because, because I'm in South Africa, but, um, I, but when it comes to a life point of view, I would love to sit in front of Nelson Mandela and just ask him like, how, like, how did you get the movement how how did it come from like how did everything go from like i want to make a change to i am making the biggest change that could possibly be made not just in my country sure, but in the world sure, right now sure. um because i think there's very few people who have the the capacity to actually change the world sure. Right. There's there's people who have the capacity to influence people or be successful in business or become billionaires or whatever. There's very few people who want to change the world for good. You know, there's a lot of people who've changed the world for bad. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of people, you know, but but to, to meet somebody like that and sit and, and have that discussion, I think, would be like, yeah, an amazing um achievement and so 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 i'm going to so i'm going to play a bit of like devil's advocate and ask the, and and ask that you almost ask someone who's alive because for us we'd like to see if we could get an answer to your question mm. who's alive right now in any industry or and in any part of the world i <laughs> to be careful about what I say now. I can, I can get myself <laughs> in trouble. If I, if I went with my first instinct there, I would get myself in trouble. So I won't do that. Um, I guess I would, I would be quite interested, like right now, to speak to, you know, someone like, I better not. I better not do that. Then I'll, <laughs> see, I'm really I'm really being <laughs> skating on thin ice. Right yeah, now. yeah. I'm skating on thin ice. I tend to. I tend to put my my foot in things sometimes. Um, in the current. In any industry, any 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 industry, anywhere in the yeah, world. That's yeah, that's what I'm thinking. This is the problem when you give someone who thinks like this yeah. a question like this. I'm, I'm like here you now. Go everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah, to narrow down my my focus. Um, I guess maybe actually, if if we went back to the to the AI question, I would be super interested to speak to, um, you know, like Google or Apple or any of these guys who are like leading these big industries that are about to start this new revolution, and 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 just ask them you know if they could give advice for what to do with with what they've created now mm. to to the masses mm. Mm. what you know yeah. Yeah. what would they do yeah. because i think there's so much fear around ai and there's and while it's extremely exciting the the fear i think is 
is almost as great as the excitement, which rarely happens. I would love to speak to one of those guys and say, like, what would you really, really like to see with this? And, and what would you caution along the way? Um, because you've created something now that will change the world. See, I'm always on these world changing yeah, things. You've, yeah, you've yeah, created yeah. something now that, that will change the world. You know, what would your advice to us be? That's that, yeah. that's an interesting question. Yeah, we'll probably get someone from As Google. Normal yeah, we'll, humans, we'll, you know? we'll send it and see if um, what someone from Google or even OpenAI would say to that. Um, yeah, we have a local Google office. I'm yeah, sure we they do. Can. yeah, we do. We do. Um, yeah. So we also ask uh, our guests um, to ask a question for our next guest. And our previous guest was um, Mosa Kalenga, the group CEO of uh, the Brave Group. And um, I'll just share his question now so that we see if you have an answer for that. And then you can also ask a question for our next guest as well. Um, to your next guest, whoever you are, I'm going to punish you. Um, so the question would be, what do you deeply believe that you are often in disagreement with many people about? So what is it that you deeply believe that most people don't agree with you on? I, I truly believe, you know, obviously I, I come from a different country and background and I've lived in different places around the world. But I truly believe that despite Everything that goes on in this country every day that makes people go, oh, I need to leave or, you know, this is terrible. And there is a lot of terrible things happening. But I, I truly believe that this country has the capacity to be the best country in the world. And it is around, you know, taking some very strategic decisions around certain areas in industry to create jobs and empower people to, you know, get out of their situation so that they can, you know, have the next generation live better. And, and this is a constant debate because the, you know, the, there's often the comment like, oh yeah, well, you're like a bright eyed, bushy tailed, you know, <laughs> foreigner who's been here for three years. Um, I think the, the, the difference is, is that the, there is no country in the world that has the same amount of like creativity, entrepreneurial spirit, ambition, like just like gusto just to like get things done and if we can harness that as a society towards something fantastic this can be the greatest country in the world with, with not just because it is a great country but because it can actually be with all the data and be safer and all of these things so yes, that's my yes. constant debate topic every <laughs> single day so that was an awesome. easy even though awesome. he did punish me slightly <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Now, the last question to you. What's the one question that you'd ask our next guest about their work, their creative process, or their thoughts about their industry or any industry for that matter? I guess since I don't know who it is, um, my question would be how can your industry? impact making this the best country in the world that's a simple and fair question based on my answer 
<laughs> no, I think I think that's also punishing because now they have to think about yes. how their industry is contributing. But it's exactly. uh, it's an amazing question. Um, Caroline, thank you so much for making the time. It was a really great conversation. And I'm sure that a lot of designers, a lot of creatives will benefit from, a lot, from the insights that you shared today. Great. Thank you so much. It was so nice to speak with you. Thank you for listening to The Lead Creative. Did you get one insight that's worth sharing from this episode? Please share it with your network or your friends. Pop me some of your ideas and innovative finds on Twitter on at Mongesi. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find me on mongesi.com. 